Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Good evening and, and welcome this evening. What a beautiful day and I'm so glad that you're here with us. Um, it's Palm Sunday weekend, a time where we just celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's the great feast of Passover. And what you need to know about that great and wonderful feast is that the city was abuzz. There were probably, historians say, over 500,000 people made the pilgrimage to come into this wonderful city. And they were getting ready. They were getting ready for the Passover week. And it was probably a, a little more exciting than, than, than the Passover's of the past. And the reason was is they heard that there was someone named Jesus close by. He had come for a week in Bethany. He had spent time with his good friends. He spent time in fellowship. He spent time with those folks that he deeply loved. And the city was abuzz because they heard about something that he had done for one of the family members. He had raised Lazarus from the grave. People were talking about this. People were anticipating this. And so Jesus on that Sunday took a two-mile pilgrimage right down into the gates of Jerusalem. And there people were waiting for him. They were waiting with palm fronds. They were waving palm branches. And they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It comes from an Old Testament ritual. It comes out of Psalm 118, 25, and 26. They were just repeating what they had understood and heard from their fathers and their fathers and their fathers' fathers. And so here it is, this wonderful Passover week, expectations high, and Jesus comes into the city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your victory in our lives. We thank you for the amazing grace that you have extended to each one of us. And we do, we do celebrate, we do worship you and thank you for the good gifts that you have given to us. The gifts of life and life abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. And they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him. And they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him. And they had done these things to him. I don't know if you've ever looked forward to going on a much-anticipated vacation. You did all the planning and saving to make the vacation the vacation of a lifetime. Your expectations were so high that you were actually disappointed because it wasn't what you wanted it to be. Or maybe you grew up reading J.R.R. Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, and you became a fanatic of his stories. You even went so far as to learn the language of elves and learned all the other languages and the geography that's found in the trilogy. And then you hear that it's going to turn into a, a big screen presentation. 
You can hardly hold back your enthusiasm. And finally, the the first movie is to arrive in theaters. You wait in line dressed like Gimli the Dwarf. And that is people I know. Those are people that I've seen. You're obviously more excited only to be let down because it wasn't what you wanted it to be. It didn't meet your expectations. It wasn't like the book. And so you were let down. We all have had experiences where something or somebody wasn't exactly what we wanted them to be. I think the crowd that greeted Jesus that Sunday as he entered Jerusalem was not what they wanted him to be by the end of that week. Their expectations were high. They sang songs of praise. They laid palm branches down for him. But by that Friday, they were disappointed because he had let them down. And because he wasn't who they wanted him to be, they crucified him. I wonder sometimes how much of that crowd is in me. I wonder if this isn't the time to really look in our own hearts, coming to the end of of Lent, going into that great celebration of Easter Sunday. There are crowds, bustles of crowds, People moving and coming to and fro that whole week. The story focuses a lot on crowds during that Passover week. But this is one crowd I've looked at and I've thought to myself, what is it about that crowd that's like me? What do I have in my heart that's found in that crowd? Here's the reality. For many, Jesus is dead to them. Because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. He didn't heal my loved one. He didn't stop the suffering. He didn't save my relationship. He didn't rescue me from financial ruin. Because he wasn't what I wanted him to be, something died in me. My trust in him died. My faith in him died. Something died with that unfulfilled expectation. This crowd, like like any crowd then and now... Have a mix of all kinds of people with all kinds of agendas, with all kinds of expectations. I think the crowd was prone to missing Jesus that day because he wasn't who they wanted him to be. They were blind by their own ideologies, by their own prejudice, and really by their own selfish ambitions. I think if you took a sampling of who was following Jesus that day, it would be be very similar to who is following Jesus today. It, it would be very similar to the crowds that, 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 that gather together, even in our church settings. It would be very similar. Sure, they dress different, they eat different, they act a little different. But I'm wondering if the motivation of their heart, the things that they filtered life through, their perspective might be similar to yours and mine. I have to wonder I think there were many in the crowd that had a few different things they anticipated would happen. I think there were people in the crowd that missed Jesus because, first of all, they were just casual followers. A casual follower to me is defines is someone who defines Jesus through their cultural experience, through the people they just hang out with. 
These are those who wanted to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. I'm certain that part of the crowd that was there on that first Palm Sunday had come from a a place that they were with Jesus before in John chapter 6 when Jesus fed fed the 5,000 with loaves and fish. It was many of them that showed up. This was a pilgrimage. In fact, in their faith, they were, were, were required to show up. Boys, girls, men, women. Many of them already had seen and been touched by the miraculous work of Jesus. But what did they really want from him? What did those 5,000 really seek from him? They wanted simply to have their stomachs full. Because it tells us in another gospel that when Jesus was done finished feeding the 5,000 that they tried to make him king. And now they have another opportunity. Now they're seizing the moment these casual followers. I think casual followers compare themselves not to how Jesus calls us to live life, but rather they compare themselves to the folks around them. We look at the commitment level of others and we feel our relationship with Jesus is pretty solid. I mean, just look around. See the people in my life. I, 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 I think I'm more spiritually sound. I, I think I have things more together. I think the casual follower grades their relationship with Jesus on the curve. As long as they're more spir- spiritual than the next guy, they figure everything is fine. That's why they are almost glad when it's found out that the Christian family everyone admires has a child that rebels or a family that's struggling to stay together because the curve just was set a little lower. Have you noticed that when you compare yourself to others as a way of measuring our relationship with Jesus that we almost always put ourselves up against those who we think or who appear to be us uh, to us spiritually anemic? Well, I might not be that great, but they're not as good as I am. I know we may not say these things out loud, but I, I wonder if we have a ruler. I wonder if we have a measuring stick. I wonder if we're on the curve. I know we have a tendency to do this in our marriages. I, I, I know as a husband of 36 years, there are times that I think I'm doing pretty good because I take my wife flowers every now and again and I take her on a date every now and again. And I, I know guys, I know husbands that don't do that. So I must be doing pretty good. I must be okay because, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good husband. I've learned that when I start comparing myself to other husbands as a way to measure how I'm doing, what's happening really in my life is I'm missing what Jesus wants to do in me. Because I'm watching and seeing what's going on in your life, and that's how I gauge my life. But I know this, that Jesus wants me to pay attention to what's going on in my life. I think that's really the reason he came, didn't he? He came so that he could redeem and save us. He came to seek and save those that were lost. Individually. On purpose. 
because he loves us. I, I think that there's another kind of follower in the crowd. There, there's not only the casual followers, but there were certainly the religious followers. These are people in the crowd that uh, point to their observances of religious rules and rituals as evidence that they're really followers of Jesus. Jesus confronted those kinds of leaders throughout his whole ministry. Leaders that would challenge his observance of the law. They would challenge the way that he observed the Sabbath. They would challenge and they would continue to challenge. And they would pride themselves in the way that they lived out the law, the way that they observed their religious rituals. Religious followers may validate themselves by saying, you know, I go, to, I go to church. I put money in the offering. I volunteer in the classroom. I listen exclusively to Christian radio. And I only drink wine coolers at parties. And so I keep it pretty clean. Of course I'm a follower of Jesus, they would say. Of course I am. I'm not doing all this for nothing. When I measure my relationship with Jesus through a church structure or denomination or family heritage or even biblical knowledge, I am prone to miss him. Because I'm so absorbed in me doing the right things religiously. I'm so absorbed in following all the rules that are in the Bible and many of them that aren't. I think there's one last kind of follower in this crowd. We have the casual follower. We certainly have religious followers. But we also have political followers. Political followers are people that expect Jesus to set them free from their tyranny. And these political followers were real and alive during the time of Christ. They wanted to be free from the oppression of the Roman government. Jesus even had a few disciples that, that were zealots. Judas Iscariot was a, a zealot. He was connected to Jesus because of his political ambition that he wanted to follow Jesus because he felt like Jesus was his ticket to be of political importance. Did you know that Judas Iscariot is the only disciple mentioned in the gospel that doesn't call Jesus Lord? The other disciples on several occasions call him Lord. The best that Judas could do is to call him Rabboni. You're my teacher, but you are not my Lord. You are my political leader, but you are not my God. A political follower is someone who believes that whatever party they belong to, that's the party that Jesus belongs to. And he not only belongs to that party, he favors that party. And why wouldn't he? Our causes are more noble, more moral, more Christ-like. After all, we stand for a balanced budget. And Jesus is into being a good steward. Why wouldn't he be part of my party? Or we may say, well, 
We believe in health care for everyone. It doesn't get more noble than that. Jesus is in my party. Listen, when our most passionate discussions are about political issues than they are about the Great Commission, we are missing Jesus. When you get so turned up inside over the political issues, and I'm not telling you not to be involved in government. What I'm saying is, where is the priority in your own heart? I've heard the fervor get turned up in a conversation when political, controversial political issues are brought up, and I'm thinking, my goodness, I've never heard that kind of passion when it comes to the lost, when it comes to feeding the poor, when it comes to following Jesus. I haven't heard that passion before. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that it may be time for me to look at the priorities of my heart. It may be time to see Jesus in another way. I know this is about the crowd, and we're talking about this crowd, and we're talking about casual followers of Jesus, religious followers of Jesus, and certainly political followers of Jesus. Well, how does that apply to me if the other three really haven't? I'm sure they have, but let's just say they haven't. I know I've found a little bit of all three in my own life. So what I wanted to do in my, my own heart and reading this story and thinking about this next week, asking God, God, I, I want my eyes to see. I don't want to miss the Savior. I don't want to miss the Savior. Let me tell you how I'm prone to miss Jesus in my own life. Maybe maybe you can say the same, but I'm prone to miss Jesus in the criticism of my life if I don't let him produce humility in me. I mean, that's really getting it down to brass tacks, isn't it? Last week, I, I, I faced some criticism and it was painful It. It hurt, and you know, the first response that I have is to protect myself, is to go on the defensive and, and to, to look for excuses and to justify, and all those things we do when criticism comes my way. And I was in the middle of this little rant, and I said, wait, be still my soul. God, what are you producing in me? What do you want the outcome of this to be? Because I can control that. I can't control what people say about me or think about me, but I can control the way I respond. And so the choice I made was, God, let this produce humility in me because you know how much I need that. You know that I can be prideful. You know that I can be boastful and that I need to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. And if this is the way you're doing it, so be it. Lord, let me walk in your humility. Because when I walk in your humility, I can see you because you are humble. You didn't think it anything 
to hold on to the things you had in heaven with God. You left that and you came and dwelt among us to be our neighbor. You humbled yourself and you humbled yourself even to the death of the cross. God, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss you with a pride-filled, boastful heart. One that protects the moment it feels threatened. I want to humble myself. So I can see you. Humble eyes see humble people. And some humble people can see humble eyes. I miss him in my crises if I don't let him produce faith in me. You know the the crises that you go through, the hardship that you face? I wonder, (laughs) I just wonder how much we lose when it doesn't count for something. When the crisis is taken personal, when we get angry at God, I understand all those emotions. Been there, done that. But I want the crisis that I've been put in, whatever that may be, I'm wanting God to produce faith in me because it's with eyes of faith that I can see Jesus. I got a letter, it's been about a month now, that inspired me. It was an inspiration from someone in this church family. Going through this horrible time of lost health, dealing with cancer that has returned and returned and returned again. And I'm watching this person live this life of incredible faith. And in this letter, it was so humble. It was so faith-filled. It says, I don't want to go through this for nothing. I want God to build my faith in him. I want him to strengthen my faith. That's exactly what a crisis is designed for in your life. God fits that. He tailor makes it for you. Like a well-fitting suit. He says, this is for you. This crisis is just for you. Oh boy. (laughs) But he says, I'm making it personal. Because I want your personal faith to grow. I'm making it personal because I'm speaking to you. And then I realize that I may miss him in my daily circumstances if I don't let him produce patience in me. This may not be your problem. Patience may not be something that, that, that you need. Patience is certainly something I need. Uh, I need patience. And, and I'm reminded of the fact that I need patience every single day. I'm reminded. I, I was reminded that I needed patience yesterday in, in, in the funniest way. 
I was actually going out to the market and I was thinking about this message and I had two of these down. I had the humility and the crisis down. But I thought, God, I know there's, there's something else that, that you want to tell me. There's something else you want to teach me. There's something else you want to show me about myself so that I don't miss you. God, here I am in the grocery store. Show me. Show me. And I was waiting in line. And I was waiting in line. And I was waiting in line. I hate to wait in lines. Annette knows I hate to just be in crowds. I wouldn't go to a, to, to a theater for years because they were just too crowded. People just breathing on you everywhere, you know. I don't have the patience for that. And I'm waiting in line. And the lady in front of me was talking to the cashier and was expecting the cashier to know exactly the coupon that she was talking about that reduced the price of her item by half. And she was describing the color in the advertisement and she was being very detailed in the cashier for the life. I felt so sorry for her because she wasn't getting it. And, she, and they were going back and forth and I was standing there And then this third point hit me. That's what you need, Ron. In these daily circumstances of everyday life, if you don't let me produce patience in you, you will miss me. You will not see me. They that wait upon the Lord they will renew their strength. I want patience. I need patience. Now, don't you try my patience. You know, you don't have to do that. God's good at it. He, he does a great job. He always finds ways, and he finds tailor-made ways. Because what may bring patience about in me might not always bring it about in you. And that's why I need Jesus in my life. I don't want to miss him this week. I don't want to fall into the same traps that the crowd did on that Passover week. They kept missing him and missing him. You know, it's important that I ask myself, what kind of follower am I? It's important that I ask myself, am I missing Jesus because he's not what I want him to be? Do my expectations blind me to seeing Jesus? But here's what I know. If I let Jesus produce humility, faith, and patience in me, I will see him for who he really is. He is our suffering and then resurrected Lord. That's how I want to see him. And listen, let me say this to you. If you think you have been disqualified from this game because you're, you're not really good at any of this, that you're looking at this saying, Man, I'm, I am just a, I'm just a preschooler when it comes to this faith journey, this devotion to Christ. I just don't get it all. 
That's all right. Listen, he's not asking you to live a perfect devotion to him. He is asking that you live in a growing devotion to him. That every step of the way, you're saying, how, Lord, do you want me to grow in my criticism, in my crisis, in my daily circumstances? How do you want me to grow? That is what he's looking for in each one of us. So take off the perfectionism. Take off the control and surrender. And then he'll produce something in you that looks a lot like him. That's what I'm so glad for. And let me read this to you. I think it's appropriate we understand what the prophets said. What the prophets knew they would, they would see and the people would see. The crowds would see and glance at and be blinded. Blinded by their own expectations. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And surely he has come to bore our griefs and carry our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The suffering Savior. And then Isaiah moves us forward like all good prophets do. To say this. And the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And to the opening of the prisons of those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified on the third day. Amen. A suffering And then resurrected Savior, let our eyes see him. Let's don't miss him. And when we come back together again, we will rejoice. We will rejoice. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I confess that There are too many times, times I hate to admit, 
that I wanted you to be something for me that was not what I needed. You know what I need. And that I expected you to do something and my expectations weren't fulfilled. But you're the God who reigns. You're the God who rules. You're the God who's victorious. And your ways are far above my ways. Your thoughts are far above my thoughts. And I don't always understand the way that you work. But this one thing I know. You came to seek and save the lost. Of which I was one. Thank you. And you have permission to continue to work in my life. To produce humility through criticism. Faith through the crises. And patience through my daily circumstances. This I ask. So that I would not miss you. So that my eyes would be open to you. Let our eyes be open this week. Let our eyes be open to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.